the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears the Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Alrighty, my friends, we made it to the end of the week. A very, very busy week we have had in uh, Washington, D.C., in the state of Ohio, particularly in Columbus, and yes, here on Always Right Radio. It is nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. On the sixth morning of the tenth month in the year of our Lord 2023, and it is indeed a free for all Friday! <laughs> and I am so glad that we are here. Uh, gotta take a deep breath, gotta decompress just a little bit. But not until after uh, uh, 12 o'clock noon, because we're going to take you until just about that time uh, with some very important guests. Coming up at uh, 9.35, about a half an hour from now... <clears throat> We're going to talk to uh, Representative DJ Swearingen, Ohio 89. You know him better, probably, as a member of the Blue 22, um, otherwise known as the Trans Dems, who got together and uh, decided to team up with Democrats to essentially um, usurp the (laughs) Speaker-elect in the Ohio House of Representatives, Derek Maron, to give the uh, gavel to Jason Stevens, who would be much more favorable to Dems. I don't like that about DJ Swearingen. He knows that. We've talked about that. But we are willing to set that aside 
because he's also the sponsor of HB8. That's the Parents' Bill of Rights, which is extremely important. That passed the House already this past summer. Now it's being taken up on the Senate side. Don't know exactly where it stands, but we're going to talk to him about that. It's very important. And we're also going to talk about a request that has been made by conservative groups in the state of Ohio to repeal a section of the Ohio Revised Code that uh, essentially uh, allows doctors to have access to parents' kids without parents being in the room. You know what I'm talking about. We've probably all been there at some point or another. As your kid starts to go from childhood to adolescence, you know, they ask mom and dad to step outside while the doctors talk about things that might be private with your kids. But considering that the medical profession has morphed from first do no harm to now we'll do whatever the hell we want to experiment with kids, and I know that's a little drastic, that's a little extreme, but I don't think it's wrong. Considering the push to try to inquire or plant seeds in the minds of kids about changing genders and what they really are and all of that nonsense, parents have absolutely every right to be in the room with their kids for any and every examination and question of their of their child. As long as that child's a minor, that is the way it ought to be. It'll, at least it should be up to the parent, not up to the doctor. So anyway, that's part of uh, the Ohio Revised Code, and we're going to talk to DJ Swearingen about that as well. So Parents' Bill of Rights and exactly how far does it go. At 1010 this morning, Ken Cuccinelli, National Director of the Election Transparency Institute. We're going to talk to him about what, well, what's obvious, we're coming up on the 2024 elections, the primary cycle, then the general election next November, and we need to find out if there was there is going to be anything even remotely resembling a free and fair election, or if the same types of things that were done to create massive amounts of electoral fraud in uh, or election fraud in uh, 2020 and in 2022 is, are going to continue. Obviously, some things have been done here in the state of Ohio. Uh, that, uh, you know, especially getting uh, out of the Eric deal um, uh, that uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose uh, engineered and uh, getting into a different kind of pact with other states to make sure that the voter rolls are cleaned up. All of those things are very important. We're going to talk to Ken Cuccinelli about that at 1010. And at 1035, we're going to talk to the aforementioned Secretary of State Frank LaRose. We just had Bernie Marino on yesterday, Senate candidate. Frank LaRose is currently, according to surveys, and polls leading the Republican primary field of three uh, in that Senate race, but we're not. Well, we'll talk about the Senate race because we did it with Bernie Marino, and we will, of course, invite Matt uh, Dolan to come on too to talk about it. That's the three-man race. Uh, but we'll also talk about the same things about with uh, LaRose about uh, election transparency and election security, election integrity here in the Buckeye State. So that's what we've got on the table for you. DJ Swearingen, Ken Cuccinelli, and Frank LaRose this morning. And, of course, as I mentioned, as a free-for-all Friday, we welcome your thoughts. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. What do you say we pledge before we get started with the news of the day? Patriots, stand up. Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart. If you're driving, just uh, just do the flag part. Don't try to stand. You can put your hand on your heart if you want. If you can drive with your left hand, that could probably work too. Uh, but join us for our pledge. If you are a believer in building border walls that your predecessor wanted to build but you said would not work and should never be done and then are doing it anyway, then you're a liar. You are a traitor uh, to your own word, and therefore you probably have no respect whatsoever for that flag or the country it represents. So as such, you may uh, 
Go ahead and take a knee next to the unemployed socialist quarterback over there. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, yeah, you do know what I'm talking about, right? When I set up the pledge that way, I always set it up, or I try to set it up with uh, some some kind of a comment on one of our lead stories in the monologue, and here it is. Uh, Joe Biden and Democrats have said for years, ever since Donald Trump came down the escalator in 2015 and said we're going to build a big, beautiful wall on our southern border in order to keep out all of the drug traffickers, rapists, criminals, gang members, cartels, and human traffickers, etc., etc., etc. Remember, he was called, of course, racist for saying those things. But uh, we're going to build a big, beautiful wall. From that moment on, the Democrats have been screaming about how they never would allow such a thing to happen. They wouldn't fund it. They wouldn't allow it. Well, Trump got some miles built of it, not nearly enough to traverse the entire southern border, but he got some done. He couldn't get the funding for the rest, even though he had a Republican majority in the House and in the Senate at that time. And since then, of course, since Biden stole the White House, uh, they stopped building the border wall. And they pledged that never will another racist wall be built. You remember all of this, right? We will not build a wall. Walls don't work. A racist and sinful big wall. We spent years investing in a faulty border wall that was never going to uh, be an effective mechanism. There will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration. It would waste taxpayer dollars on an ineffective wall. Again, an ineffective wall that can't even withstand heavy winds. We know that walls don't work, <laughs> that they don't stop drugs, that they don't stop migration. Kind of a deal. wall is an immorality. It's not who we are as a nation. Uh, we do not agree with the building of the wall. I love these people. They really, really crack me up. Well, now Joe Biden says, well, I got to build it. I got to build more wall because the law says I have to. It's against the law for me to not build a wall. Is he really making that argument now? So one question on the border wall. The border wall, the money was appropriated for the border wall. I tried to get them to reappropriate, to redirect that money. They didn't. They wouldn't. And in the meantime, there's nothing under the law other than they have to use the money for what was appropriate. I can't stop that. There's nothing <laughs> under the law other than they have to use the money for whatever is appropriate. And I can't stop that now. How about that? Well, then why did you stop it for the last two and a half years? Why did you sell off already paid for sections of the border wall that have been laying in the desert down there along the border for the last two and a half years? If the money was appropriated, why? Uh, which it was, why the hell are we sitting here now having had nothing done for two and a half years and suddenly now you're going to follow the law? Suddenly now you're going to follow the appropriations. That's a pretty remarkable thing. Maybe we should get some clarity on where the uh, where the administration stands on this strange little reversal of we're never going to build another foot of the wall. We are never going to support the wall. It's a racist wall. It's an effective wall. It's an immoral wall. It does, it's a doesn't-work wall. But now we're going to build some wall. Maybe we can get some clarity from Corrine Jean-Pierre, the black and gay press. You know she's black and that she's she's gay, right? Not that it matters to me, but it matters to her and it matters to them because they told us all that and made sure we wrote it down. The black and gay press secretary was asked about this. If you have to build a border wall, but you don't think that it's going to work, then once it's done, are you just going to tear it down? I'm not getting into hypothetical. 
Peter Ducey for the win. You have to. He's saying we have no choice. We have to spend the money on what they appropriated it for. We have to build 20 miles of new wall. And Ducey's question is simply priceless. If you have to build a border wall, but you don't think that it's going to work, then once it's done, are you just going to tear it down? I'm not getting into hypotheticals from here. I'm just telling you what I can tell you from here. The facts are that DHS is complying with the law. (laughs) It's not a hypothetical. He's asking the question. If you're forced to build the wall because the the appropriations um, put those funds only into the border wall, if you have to build it just because the law says so, but then you decide it doesn't work, are you going to just tear it down again? All right, we used the funds there. We wasted the money, built it, it doesn't work, and then tear it down. It's a hell of a question. It's not hypothetical. It's real. It's a real question, but then again, the answer you get from the uh, the uh, black and gay press secretary who was hired because she's black and she's gay. You do know that, right? You know she was a diversity hire. It was announced by the administration. It was a big part. She herself called herself historic. Why is she historic? Is she the first press secretary? No. Is she the first female press secretary? No. Is she the first black and gay press secretary? Ding, 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 ding. Anyway. Uh, so that's how Corrine handled that one. Let's see if she is any better explaining the flip-flop on the wall in response to this question. So I'm, pre- I'm President Biden's first day in office, uh, January 20th. Uh, he posted a proclamation in the Federal Register where he halted all funding um, that was being redirected to, to build a border wall. I'm going to pause that there to say, you know, that funding that they talked about, that appropriation of those funds for the border wall that they are pointing out came from fiscal year 2019 under the previous administration. He knew that then. He knew that on Inauguration Day. They also ended the national emergency on the southern border. Also, in the first paragraph of that proclamation, he asked for a careful review of all resources that have been appropriated to the southern border wall. What was the result of that careful review don't have an update on the review but happy to actually talk to the talk to the team and, and we can work with you on getting uh, the result of that review it's been two and a half years was part of it i totally understand in june to, to I, restart I, construction on that I, no I, I, I totally understand you asked me for a review i'm not going to make something up from here so i have to figure out from the team what came out of that review. with the size of that binder that you have in front of you at every press briefing the size of that thing is like five, you know, uh, Manhattan phone books stacked on top of one another. Going back when we used to have phone books, I mean, she, there's nothing that she says from that podium that isn't pre-written for her. It's 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 written, transcribed, uh, scripted, whatever it is you want to call it, in that binder. That's why she is constantly looking at it and reading every answer to every question, and she doesn't have the answer about that. About about why it took two and a half years for President Biden to suddenly realize that he's authorized, not authorized, but he is forced by law to build something that he doesn't want to build. I'll have to get back to you on that. I, I'm not going to make something up from here. Well, how do you not know from there? Well, I know. Maybe. Could it be because you're a diversity hire who doesn't know what in the living H she's doing? Yeah, that could be. About this border issue, because it, it, it does look like he's backtracking on a promise. He's been very clear. He, he even took the step to ask Congress to reappropriate the funds. That's how much he did not want these, these, this, this, uh, uh, these appropriated funding uh, to be used. Right? Well, you didn't answer her question. Why didn't you answer her question? She said 
he has been backtracking on this border wall promise here. Why? Well, he's been very clear. He wanted didn't want to do this. Well, but he's doing it, and he could have done it for the last two and a half years, but isn't. Now, on the heels of Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Insecurity, saying that we have an acute and immediate need for border barriers in the Rio Grande Valley sector, suddenly he's doing this, and her answer is he's been very clear. No. Clear as mud. Clear as mud. And now, to NBC's Peter Alexander and his exchange with the president's press secretary, who's black and gay. Did you know that she's black and gay? Nobody cares that she's black and gay except for them. That's why they tell us all the time that she's black and gay and historic. So the black and gay and historic press secretary had to answer this question and had this exchange with left-wing Peter Alexander from left-wing NBC. I just want to follow up very quickly. You said that it's not new, but to be clear that this was posted on the Federal Register overnight on October 4th. So just to be clear about this, the president earlier today said that he was asked does the border wall work? He said no. But in this statement that was posted within the last 24 hours, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary says there is presently an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers and roads in the vicinity of the border of the United States in order to prevent unlawful entries into the United States. So who's right? The statement from the DHS Secretary overnight or the President's comments today saying they don't work? So a couple of- Ooh. <laughs> That's a question worthy of Ducey. That's a question worthy of an actual journalist. Somebody must have, at NBC must have uh, gotten their wires crossed there and uh, and tripped and allowed Peter Alexander to ask a real question. How does this one go? A couple of things. Yes, it showed up on the register today, but the announcement, it, this is not new. This is from six months well, ago. Well, it is new because the waving of the laws actually didn't happen. <laughs> but it was, it, this is something that uh, was out back, that the DHS was put out back in in uh, in, in it six months ago. Well, so and now they, they announced. Did they no. wave the laws six months ago? Well, what I'm saying is DHS announced this back in, in June that the agency would do so. They actually said that they would do that so back in DHS. with it today, but the initial announcement was six months ago by waiving the laws. So that's what's new today. Understood. So yes. the statement when Just he says to make presently sure we're clear was on filed. So when he said there is presently, are you saying when he says there is presently, he was referring to six months ago or referring to the date of which it was filed? What I can tell you is... The- <laughs> Another accidental slip and, 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 and mistaken journalism by Peter Alexander here. Call her out again. He just announced this back in June that they were going to move forward with this. That's what I can share with you. That's what I, I know is to be true and is to be fact. Look, I can speak for the president. The president said... He was asked directly. He doesn't believe a border wall is effective. Does he have a disagreement with his Department of Homeland I, Security I, Secretary? What I can tell you, what the president, I, have, I, I want to tell you what the president said and what your colleague asked him. He said, no, he doesn't believe that the I border wall is effective. But she will not answer the question because she can't, because she's a diversity hire who is not qualified to do that job. The question was, President Biden says they don't work. The Secretary of Homeland Insecurity says we need one because it will work. Who's right? And she has nothing. And oh, by the way, after all of that, let me just say this. The folly of a 17 or 20 mile border wall hopefully is not lost on anybody. Border walls don't work when they're 17 to 20 miles long. Uh, If you hop in your car right now and headed out uh, on, on 71 or 90 or 480 or wherever... How long does it take you to go 17 miles? 13, 14 minutes, roughly? 
maybe. Maybe over uneven terrain a little bit longer, maybe even 17 minutes. But the point is, if you can't get through here, but you know there's an end a few miles down the road, you can go around the wall. Isn't that what they're going to do? This is nothing but virtue signaling. This is nothing but trying to placate concerned people. You have youth football teams being evicted from their fields and their locker rooms so they can jam more migrants into them. In Chicago, you've got migrants sleeping on the floors at the airport in Chicago at O'Hare. You've got migrants in every hotel in New York City. You've got migrants on the floors in the hallways. You've got them in tents. You've got them all over the big cities. There's nowhere else to put them. <clears throat> and Americans are furious, including many Democrats. And so you have to look like you're addressing it somehow. So let's build a portion of the wall to shut these people up. It is absolute folly. It is absolute politics at its worst, and that's what's going on. All right. Free for all Friday, but that's where I launched. we got DJ Swearingen coming up. I told you before, we've also got uh, P- uh, Ken Cuccinelli coming up. We also have Frank LaRose coming up. But I want your calls and thoughts, so get on hold and stay on hold at 216-901-0945. We'll get you as soon as we can get you on AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, doing all of those things on this Friday morning. Thanks for being with us. It's 9.35. we got Ken Cuccinelli coming up after the top. Don't forget Frank LaRose, the Secretary of State, at about 10.35 on the uh, uh, election uh, transparency initiative uh, with uh, with uh, both of those guys, actually, and, of course, Frank LaRosa's Senate run. Joined now, though, by uh, Ohio House Representative D.J. Swearingen, Ohio 89, as I said to you before. And first, let's welcome uh, Representative Swearingen back to our program. Uh, Representative, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Bob. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, good to have you. Uh, last time we talked, of course, we talked about you being a member of the Blue 22, otherwise known to me as Trans Dems because of what happened with the speaker steal of, uh, of, of this year. But I am willing and ready to put all of that aside for now because I want to praise you and give you credit for being the co-sponsor of, uh, of HB8 that was passed out of the House this summer, the Parents' Bill of Rights. This is a very, very big deal. And as I understand, it's uh, in the Senate right now. So first... For those who don't know exactly what the Parents' Bill of Rights does, uh, Representative Swearingen, tell us that, and then we'll talk about where it is in the process on the other side. So this is a very straightforward common-sense bill, and it's actually surprising that we have to bring something like this forward and put it into Ohio law, but it's necessary that we do so. What the bill does is just several very simple things. It affirms that parents in Ohio have the fundamental right to raise their kids. That's precedent under the U.S. Supreme Court case law. The next thing it does is require a school board to pass a policy and enforce that if there's any sexuality content, uh, that it be age appropriate and it be disclosed to the parents. Parents don't like it, that then they are given a right to pull their kid out of that class. If there's any changes in the student's mental, physical, or emotional health or services offered to the student around those issues, that the parent know about that and be involved in the decision-making. And then if the parent has any disagreement around these matters, they can appeal directly to the school board 
and a decision has to be rendered within 30 days. And then because of that being an administrative body, and the parent doesn't like that decision, you can appeal into common pleas court. The other thing to note, too, is that the school board does have to make the decision, and those are all elected officials. So if parents don't like what the school board's putting out in terms of those decisions around the Parents' Bill of Rights, then they can have to answer to the voters in the appropriate fall election. So our school boards are really important now in Ohio. I think, rightfully, uh, the microscope is being put on them, and that's a good thing. And I think we have a lot of great candidates running for school board. So uh, the Parents' Bill of Rights looks to work with those good parents looking to uphold parents' rights in this bill. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, the school boards are absolutely the front lines right now because parents have access to them. And as you say, they're elected and therefore they have to answer to voters. Um, I obviously support this uh, wholly and and entirely. Um, but but of course, no bill, I, maybe some are, but, but no bills that I'm aware of are perfect. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. is there any language in this bill um, that addresses timeliness of reporting to parents? What I mean by that is I'm picturing, because they're always looking for ways around, you know, laws like this, I'm picturing the, you know, the radically progressive SEL teaching and gender queer theory supportive guidance counselor, teacher, whatever, talking to a student about their feelings about these things, about whether they are what they what they were assigned at birth and all of the stuff that we know goes into this. How long do they get to work on that kid before they say, okay, now now that we have you convinced uh, that this is something that you want to do, now it's time to follow the law and go tell your parents, as opposed to telling parents the moment there is a conversation started about any of these kinds of things. Is there any way to be, you know, to do this with specificity and timeliness to make sure that the damage isn't already done? Absolutely. And the intent of the bill, and I would offer that the language in there now anticipates that those conversations can't happen without the parent knowing about them. So if there is a conversation or a conversation to be had, parent needs to know. The other thing is, too, you know, the bill has to go through the State Senate Education Committee. Chairman is State Senator Andy Brenner. And to the extent that we do see a gap in there and the other senators see a gap, let's put that specification in the bill in the committee process. So you know, looking forward to working with the state senators over in the other chamber, and uh, we need to get this bill passed as soon as we can. Do you have any uh, knowledge of where this stands over there, and have you know which senators have you talked to that are championing this on that side? Well, I have a meeting with State Senator Brenner here in the next week or two to talk about the bill, uh, his thoughts. You know, from what I've heard, he's very supportive. Uh, so it's always a great thing when the when the chairman's supportive of the bill. So it's best to start with him, and then uh, I'll be working with the members of the committee to get their thoughts. You know, it's tough to see really any, you know, this, Bob, this should really be a bipartisan bill, quite yeah. honestly. Oh, Unfortunately, God. it's not. Um, but well, I know said a the, lot What of you said at the top of our conversation, it's a shame, and it's a sad commentary on where we are that this bill is even yeah. necessary. This is something that should be common sense, and no matter what side right. of the political aisle you're on or ideology you have, you should say, of course parents have to be informed and should be absolutely integral parts of you know important decisions made by their kids. Right. Well, and to follow that up, you know, the nuts and bolts of this bill, it's asked the simple questions. Who in Ohio is responsible for raising children? This bill says it's the parents. I mean, it's obvious that kids can't raise themselves. So 
if someone's going to be against the parents' bill of rights, the question rightfully is then, well, who would you propose raises kids? And in those instances, unfortunately, it's the school officials or, you know, anyone that they see fit in some bureaucratic organization. But the Parents' Bill of Rights affirms the simple answer of parents raise their kids in Ohio. Back to the state Senate, you know, I look forward to working with those committee members. I'm sure I'll have those conversations. But, you know, the the protocol is to start with uh, the good chairman, State Senator Andy Brenner, and uh, have that meeting and then go from there about work about working the bill in the committee. Yeah, well, you're spot on about um, about who you know they think should raise the kids. Um, some of the leaders at the largest teachers unions, the AFT and the NEA, have literally mm-hmm. made statements that parents' rights end when their kid gets to the school door. When the kids get to the school door, they're ours, and they've said this almost in those words. And we will make decisions mm-hmm. on their, you know, on on their best care and so forth. And in fact, those teachers, those radicals who are, you know, and this does this of course does not go to a man and woman uh, in terms of all of all teachers but it's the leaders and the radicals who run these unions who have literally suggested that well if we inform the parents of these things you know these children might be abused because these parents many parents are so closed-minded they're not going to like to hear that their little boy is actually a girl and a girl is a boy and this and that and the other thing uh and that they're being uh, allowed to read gender queer and all of these other you know pornographic literature and pornographically illustrated books on our shelves if the parents find out about these things the kids might not be safe so therefore the parents can't know that's literally their mindset yeah, it's it is agenda pushing at its finest, Bob. And again, that's why we need this bill. And I also just want to put a plug in for a no vote on issue one for the reasons that you mentioned, because if you read that amendment, you see the same sentiment of anti parent language in that amendment on the ballot in November in our state. We can't we cannot vote for that. It has to be a no vote. You know, not only does it allow abortion up to birth, which is extremely radical, obviously. It also is a direct threat to parents' rights and enshrining that threat in our Ohio Constitution. So great time to put a plug in for a no vote on issue one. Absolutely, and and make that plug a billion times uh, everywhere you go and in every interview you do because we all need to really be united on this. And and quite frankly, yes. issue two as well. Uh, I don't know if you feel yes. the same way about it, but, uh, but issue two is I, just I as dangerous yep. to the youth, I think, of Ohio um, and, and yep. everybody in Ohio, but particularly the youth too. So we'll throw that in there. Um, Representative Swearingen, we're talking to DJ Swearingen, Ohio 89. I want to, I want to go, I'm glad you mentioned, um, Senator Brenner because, um, I was speaking with, uh, John Stover of Ohio Value Voters and, uh, he told me that he reached out to both you and Senator Brenner about a different issue, but maybe somewhat related to parents' bill of rights, the parents' bill of rights. The parents have a right to know what's going on in their schools and the parents need to have a right to know what's going on in the doctor's office when they're kids, particularly when they're at adolescent ages, um, what's going on in those, in those settings as well. Section 5122.04 of the Ohio Revised Code essentially says that individuals 14 years or older um, can speak privately to doctors without their parents. Given the the culture and the moment we're at right now where, quite frankly, a lot of medical professionals embrace this, um, you know, this, this gender-affirming care nonsense, um, many of us don't believe that the medical professionals should be allowed to speak to these kids without their parents present. And so the request has been made to re, uh, to repeal that section of the Ohio Revised Code. Can you speak to that? Yep, that's something we're working on, and I was really thankful that that issue was brought to our attention because 
again, for the same principles in the Parents' Bill of Rights, that parents should know what's going on in their schools, you know, the fact that parents wouldn't be able to be involved in their kids' medical care, that could be done without their knowledge or consent is extremely alarming. Um, and I think one of my colleagues made the best point uh, that she could have made. Uh, she has young sons, and one of them went to the doctor's office, and the doctor kind of, you know, pulled that, that, well, you know, this is between me and him. And she said, well, when he gets out to the reception area, you can just give him the bill. <laughs> so, you know, this is this is an important issue, again, for the same principles underlying Parents' Bill of Rights, that parents need to be involved in their kids' lives, whether that's at the doctor's office, in schools, on the athletic field, or band or extracurriculars. Study after study shows that when a parent is involved and engaged in their kids' lives, that the outcome for that child's life is exponentially better than if the parent is removed from their lives. So, you know, not only is this a good thing for the kids, uh, it's a good thing for our state because we want to have healthy, well-developed adults that have good relationships with their, with their parents, and we should seek policies like these that help in that effort. So I completely agree, and I'm glad to hear you say that. Can you tell me anything about uh, HB 236, uh, the Never Alone Act? Every patient needs an advocate in the room. Is this, this mm-hmm. the exact same thing we're talking about? Yeah, great bill. Um, I co-sponsored that bill, and uh, I'm thankful to the joint sponsors for their leadership on it, Beth, and Representative Lear and Representative Miller. They've worked incredibly hard on that bill since March, early spring of this year. And uh, unfortunately, it speaks to a problem that COVID highlighted where you had elderly passing away in various facilities uh, without their loved ones. Um, you know, and you would see on death certificates, too, failure to thrive, which is horrible. So, you know, the Never Alone Act essentially says that every individual in a facility in Ohio, nursing home, hospital, what have you, uh, gets to have one individual caregiver with them to advocate for them, to be with them. Um, and it's actually been pretty well received uh, thanks to the work of the representatives on those bills. So I, I look forward to hopefully voting on that this fall. I'm very glad to hear that. Uh, and as far as the repealing of the section that we just talked about, the 5122.04, um, how does that process work? Is that something you can make a motion for? Or does it have to go into a committee the same way a new bill to be considered would do? I don't know how the repeal of a, of a, of a section of the Ohio Revised Code works. Yep, that's something we would do in the Parents' Bill of Rights, probably through an amendment, I would imagine, in the uh, you know State Senate Education Committee. That'd be the appropriate venue for something like that. Um, so again, back to, you know, working with the chairman there in his office and the members of the committee, uh, it would be appropriate, you know, for the committee to agree on an amendment to the Parents' Bill of Rights to include that repeal uh, in our bill. And in the interest of expediting this, now that it's on the Senate side, is that something that, uh, you know, for example, Senator Brenner can move to do in the committees there, committee there, and and add that in, add that repeal of that particular provision mm-hmm. to that bill, so that when they send it back over to you, it's as easy as a "Yep, we agree, rubber stamp, let's go." That's right. Uh, he would add it in, or another member of the committee, and you know we're going to give this bill its process in the Senate. We got to have a a couple hearings over there. Uh, it would go to the Senate floor for a vote, and because it's slightly different than. Um, it was when it passed the House. It has to come back to the House for a simple concurrence vote on the House floor. 
obviously we showed that we have the votes for this bill in the House, and then it's on to the governor's desk for signature. All right, perfect. I can roll with that. That's uh, that's something that I hope happens sooner rather than later. This is extremely important. This is uh, the the movement to cut parents out of kids' lives when it comes to decisions about their futures. It is simply uh, in incomprehensible to me, and I'm glad there are common sense people fighting for this. And again, it should be bipartisan, as you say, for the Parents' Bill of Rights and also uh, for the uh, 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 Never Alone Act. We got to get these things done. DJ Swearing in Ohio House 89 District 89. Thank you for coming on. Keep up the good work. Great sponsorship of those pieces of legislation. Keep us posted as to where they go, all right? Will do. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Representative DJ Swearingen, there you go. That's good work. Uh, As you know, on this program, I always say the same thing. I will praise that which is praiseworthy. I will criticize that which is worthy of criticism. And uh, DJ Swearingen, I wasn't sure if he'd come on with me because I laid into him pretty good because he was one of the Blue 22, one of the trans Dems that uh, backstabbed Derek Maron. And that was criti- cri- that was worthy of criticism. The sponsorship that he has uh, been, you know, responsible for here of the Parents' Bill of Rights and, you know, the uh, uh, House Bill 236, the Never Alone Act, and and maybe the repeal of of that section of the High Revised Code, that is praiseworthy. I will always be fair, even if it's somebody uh, with somebody I have previously had disagreements with. So, DJ Swearingen, great work on those. Quick time out at 951. Time for a call or two or three here at 216-901-0945. Remember, on Free For All Fridays, when we do have a lot of interviews, you got to hit them where they ain't. This is one of those spots where they ain't, so make your shot right now. Or, again, uh, let's see if you can swing and hit it here. Always. Okay, 955, i got about five minutes here for calls if you want to make them. 216-901-0945. It's a free-for-all Friday, so whether it's about what we just discussed with DJ Swearinger or anything else, you make the call, uh, and we'll take it. Uh, Stephanie. Yeah. Oh, it's Stephanie Stock. Stephanie is the uh, founder of, of Ohio Advocates for Medical Freedom. Hey, Stephanie, how are you? Hey, Bob, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. What's on your mind? So I just, I, I heard you just had um, DJ on. Thank you so much for bringing up HB 236. I just wanted to let everybody know we actually have a first proponent uh, testimony hearing this coming Tuesday at 3 p.m. So they're still accepting a written testimony. Um, they're asking that it be turned in um, at, by 9 a.m. on Monday morning. So I just wanted to let people know if they were interested in telling a story about something that happened with a loved one or if they themselves we're in the hospital and we're not, and we're denied anyone um, access to them. That they might want to tell their story to help get um, get this bill moved through the house quickly. So, um, if anybody wants to get those instructions, they can email me at Stephanie S T E P H A N I E at ohioams.org, and I will get them the instructions for that call to action if they want to participate. Is uh, is written testimony the only thing they're accepting, or can people go down there and, well, and get in line? Uh, yeah, we're doing. Uh, we have very limited in person because it just it becomes hours and hours and hours of testimony. So we're trying to cut it down to um, some of really the most egregious stories. There, we know there are so many across the state. I mean, OMF received just dozens of emails and phone calls uh, day after day, just horrible stories. Um, so we, we because of that, we, we have to have it limited a little bit. But the written testimony, uh, we'd like to see as many people as possible getting that in. Um, you know, as, as hopefully by Monday morning so they can all make it into um, make it onto the website so those can be read by anyone in the public and also all of the representatives that would be voting so um, you just gave your email address can people also find this on the website ohioamf.org or 
Um, We don't have the call to action link on the website because a lot of times we'll have changes. So we send those out in emails. But you can direct them to go to ohioams.org and sign up for our emails. That way, if there's any kind of a change, we send out an immediate email to give everybody an update um, rather than having them try to figure out by checking the website. It's easier if we just notify them. So that's what I would recommend for that. That's a good idea. And for anybody who just turned the radio on, uh, if you don't know what Stephanie's talking about, we just had DJ Swearingen on. He was the co-sponsor of the Never Alone Act. It's HB 236. Uh, the slogan for it is every patient needs an advocate in the room, and it's true, uh, particularly when we're talking about kids who can be influenced by the quote-unquote medical providers um, who are maybe trying to advance the gender-affirming care theory that enriches all of them. Uh, that might not be best for your kids. And they try to do this outside of the earshot of parents so that they can influence kids. Parents have a right to be in the room, and HB 236 would guarantee that right. So, um, yeah, definitely support that. And, uh, Stephanie, the uh, the uh, email address, again, if people want to get directly from you, stephanie at ohioamf.org, right? Yes, and they can just shoot me an email today, and I'll get them the link to the call to action right. instructions so they can participate. Yeah, I hope people do. I hope people do. If you, you know, even if you don't have a story, uh, you know, specifically something yeah. that happened to you, just express your support for the bill on on just common sense grounds, on on protective grounds of our kids. Uh, you Absolutely. Know, you don't have to have a. You don't have to have had a personal interaction like this, but just uh, do it right to overwhelm them to let them know how the people of Ohio feel. So, Stephanie, good good exactly. stuff. Appreciate that very much. Thanks for the call. You're welcome. All right. It's uh, coming up on 10 o'clock news. We'll take that break now. On the other side, Ken Cuccinelli, National Director, Election Transparency Institute. He's now. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, we continue on this free-for-all Friday, seven minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock on this sixth morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks again to DJ Swear and Jim. We got Secretary of State Frank LaRose coming up at 1035. And now let's welcome back to Cleveland, metaphorically, I suppose, because he's not here. But uh, let's listen to him in Cleveland. Ken Cuccinelli, he's the National Director of election, the Election Transparency Institute, also the founder of the Never Back Down PAC in support of Governor Ron DeSantis for president. Uh, Mr. Cuccinelli, good to have you back how are you sir i'm better than america i hope you are <laughs> yeah i feel the same way i feel the very same way i'm doing well but my country is in some trouble and we've got a lot of work to do to try to save it one of the things we have to do is win elections election integrity and election transparency are of course at the forefront now um and i know you guys are very concerned uh, at the institute about these um uh, automatic voter registrations as soon as you get your driver's yeah. licenses or renew your state ids what is their intent here yeah, so right next door to y'all in Pennsylvania, the governor is trying to do this by fiat. Automatic voter registration, if you just hear that phrase, it sounds like it might be okay, really, right? We want people registered to vote. The problem with doing it automatically is in a state where you don't have to be a citizen to get a driver's license or to get health care or to get adult education, if they're registering everybody who goes into those databases automatically, they're registering non-citizens, including, by the way, illegal aliens, uh, to vote and uh, doing it automatically without significant checks. 
That's why having people do something affirmative, yes, I want to register to vote, and I do this to register to vote, is actually an appropriate filter for your voter system. Because once you've got people who aren't legal voters on the rolls, either they can vote or other people can vote their names, which sounds funny to folks, but with all the mail-in voting and everything else, especially in states that don't require voter ID all the time, um, that is something that is not hard to do. It's a great big opening for fraud. And at the Election Transparency Initiative, that is something we try to reduce, not just because obviously fraud is bad, but so that you and I and all our fellow Americans can have confidence in the outcome of all of our elections, no matter who wins or loses. Yeah, and that, of course, has been a big deal. Well, it's a big deal. I don't mean to go all hyper-partisan here, but it's been a big deal if a Republican complains about the uh, uh, integrity of an election. It's a big deal when the Democrats do it. It is just expressing their right to free speech and, and democracy. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of amazing how that works. But we all, well, many of us really do want to make sure that our votes count. And the idea that my vote might be offset by somebody who uh, was registered automatically and is not a, a citizen with the you know, with the legal right to vote, that my vote would be offset by somebody else's has got to be of paramount importance, I would imagine, to every secretary of state running an election, and I would imagine every governor as well, although Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania would seem to say otherwise. Yeah, I mean, you're you're spewing common sense. (laughs) And, um, And overwhelmingly, Americans agree with what you just said. Overwhelmingly. The only place that doesn't happen is in the political arena where these policies are made. And Josh Shapiro, the governor of Pennsylvania, has made himself a a bit of a radical leftist. And this is one of the ways that they virtue signal to their base. Um, But they also mess up our election system and they reduce confidence in the outcomes of our elections by doing things like this. And um, so there will be litigation over this in Pennsylvania, but on the general idea more broadly, it's still not a good idea, even if they were to pass a law and and do it legally, at least it would be legal in Pennsylvania, which it is not. Um, But two dozen other states do some form of this or another. I will say that when you go through the legal process, the legislature putting in place, typically they put screening mechanisms in place as well. Though not always. The farther left the state, the less screening there is. And that's because the left believes that messy elections are to their advantage. Their people will commit fraud more than ours will. And that they, and the litigation that results gives them an advantage, which is historically true, though we've closed that gap on the right. We're talking with Ken Cuccinelli. He, again, he uh, heads up the um, Election Transparency Institute. Used to be the acting deputy, deputy secretary of Homeland Security. And since we've talked about illegal aliens voting, and one of the reasons why this automatic registration is so dangerous is it swells the voter rolls and potentially puts fraud in play, I have to ask you uh, about what happened this week. Uh, Joe Biden has said, and every Democrat has said, uh, we will not build walls. We will. They don't work. They're ineffective. They're racist. They're immoral. But, oh, by the way, here comes... Alejandro Mayorkas saying, yeah, we have an immediate and acute need to build some border wall in the Rio Grande Valley sector. Little hypocrisy there. Not sure what to believe. What do you, what's your takeaway? You remember Sanford and Son? <laughs> Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. Um, 
You know, that's what I feel like when I see this stuff. But Uncle Joe cries uncle. I mean, when you've got radical Democrats like Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, going to Central America and begging them not to come, it's pretty embarrassing for this administration. And, um, you know, the reason this is happening is because Democrats are screaming at this White House that it's killing them politically. That's right. Um, which in turn, of course, hurts the White House. So the, the president's open borders policy has been underwater, by which I mean unpopular with, I'm going to say this slowly, Democrat voters for over two years, two and a half years. Ordinary Democrats, the Democrats you know in your neighborhood, do not support Joe Biden's border policies. It's only the radical leftists, the true Marxists that want to erase America, that have the wheel in the Biden administration, unfortunately, um, that have been pushing this and pushing it. Mayorkas, of course, is a perfect pick for that. But they are just suffering so much from political damage now that they have um, they're backing off of it by building some wall. So. And how effective will yeah, as the for, former deputy uh, secretary uh, of this, uh, you know, homeland insecurity is what I call it now with with Mayorkas at the helm. But um, how much good does a seventeen mile wall do anyway? I mean, uh, how long would it take well, a mule to drive look, somebody look. by jeep from one end of the wall to the other and go around it? Yeah, that's a great question. And and really, what's more important than pieces of wall is um, do you have the political will behind it? to repel people, to send them back. And that doesn't exist yet, though there are gaps in the border where wall can help slow down the flow. And anything you do to slow the flow marginally reduces it, though probably not measurably until they're willing to send people back. But, look, it's great to talk to you. I, I hope Thank you have you. a great weekend. And and, um, and God bless you guys in uh, the northeast corner of Ohio there. Yeah, we appreciate that very much, and we'll talk to you soon, hopefully, about uh, the uh, presidential primaries. I know you're still heavily involved Sounds in that. Good. Thank you, sir. All right, we appreciate Bye. you. That's uh, Ken Cuccinelli, uh, former acting uh, deputy um, secretary, or deputy uh, yeah, secretary, is that the right word? Uh, yeah, deputy secretary of Homeland Security from uh, 19, uh, 2019 to 2021. Of course, when Biden came in, uh, Cuccinelli was gone. Uh, he was on a hard out today at uh, 1015, so that's why he left abruptly. We will get him back on to talk more about that. But he's spot on about everything that he just said uh, about voting. Um, this attempt, by and, and it's not an attempt, they did it in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Governor Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania unilaterally directed the state agencies to conduct voter registration drives which is essentially just a scheme to inflate the voter rolls with people who may be registering in Pennsylvania that are already registered in other states, other places. They may be illegal aliens and not have any right to vote whatsoever. They don't care. The more millions of people that they can register to vote, the harder it is to find those who are ineligible or those who are double voting or those who are double registered. Why? Well, simple. If I put a needle on the ground and covered it with four pieces of of hay or four little stra- you know uh, uh, straws of of hay, you can find the needle because that's a really small haystack. If I put a giant 
pile a giant's uh, you know haystack there and put that needle in the middle, it's much much harder, isn't it? That's the point. They want to put as many people as possible into the voter rolls, and then dare somebody to try to prove fraud by going through millions of votes to make sure everybody's registration is legal and that they only vo- uh, voted once. Uh, that they are indeed eligible to vote in the United States as citizens of the United States, etc., etc. They're trying to overwhelm the system to make the pile deeper, taller, and more difficult to find things in. That's exactly what happened here. So I'm glad to hear uh, former uh, Deputy Secretary uh, Cuccinelli talking about that. All right, um, we'll take a time out here. I want to get some calls going here. I've got some uh, time before we talk to Frank LaRose. Again, we'll talk about election integrity issues with the Secretary of State there. Also, he happens to be a candidate for Senate. Yesterday, we spoke at length with Bernie Marino about that race, and uh, Frank LaRose is uh, leading, according to surveys done of of, uh, Republican voters in Ohio, he's leading both Matt Dolan and Bernie Marino, so we're going to talk to him about that race and where it goes from here, find out uh, a little bit more about that. So uh, Free For All continues. Your phone call's next. Dial it now. We'll get you up. 216-901-0945 on Always Right Radio. So this is kind of interesting. Uh, this story just came down about 45 minutes ago on the Hill. Fox News' Brett Baer will host a televised debate, although they're calling it a forum, for the three candidates for Speaker of the House. Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, and Kevin Hearn will all participate Monday, 6 p.m. They vote do the House members on uh, Wednesday, we're told. So they're going to do a televised forum. They're calling it more of a joint interview than a debate, but clearly Brett Baer will be trying to, you know, get the three of them to, you know, figure out what's what they're alike about. What's Let me rephrase. Uh, how they're the same versus how they're different, how they would lead, uh, you know, the things that are similar and the things that are, that are different in the way they would lead. Um, even though, of course, the viewers can't vote on it because... We don't get to vote. We could call and, uh, you know, bombard our actual congressional representatives to tell them how we want them to vote. You know, uh, Bob Ladd is my my representative in Congress. If I watch this thing and decide Kevin Hearn looks like the best man for the job, I might call the office and say, when you vote on Wednesday, you better vote for uh, for Kevin Hearn. Uh, the odds of that are very, very unlikely, as I will guarantee you. I will call them and tell them to vote, tell him to vote for Jim Jordan. We understand the point. This is something for also the members of Congress to see as well. Uh, Jim Jordan's got an uphill climb, in my view. Jim Jordan's got an uphill climb because he is the most conservative of the group. Uh, he founded the Freedom Caucus. The Freedom Caucus only has about 35 hardcore members out of uh, you know a couple hundred uh, Republicans. That means a couple hundred are more moderate than 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 super conservative, and they are not going to want to be you know aligned with uh, with Jim Jordan. Especially, there are a lot of moderate squishes in Congress who hate Donald Trump. They're part of the establishment. They hate Donald Trump, and Donald Trump just gave his endorsement to Jim Jordan, which may or may not be a positive development. It may be a kiss of death, particularly if they come from a purplish district where there isn't a lot of support for that sort of thing, for Jordan or Trump. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I will be pulling for Jim Jordan. I agree with Donald Trump. I endorse Jim Jordan for this. I do like Steve Scalise, but he was the House Majority Leader. Worked hand-in-hand, really, with Kevin McCarthy. Is he going to be very much different? Probably not. 
uh, Kevin Hearn, I'm a little bit indifferent about, to be honest with you, because I don't know as much, but I do know what I like about Jim Jordan, and I would love to see him lead a truly conservative house. I don't like what they did to McCarthy, not because, as I've said for the last two days, about McCarthy doing a great job, but I just don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze here kind of upending the entire house at a very crucial time. I don't know if it's worth doing that, but since they did it, I will back my guy, Jordan, for a speaker. Um, Sally is in Berea. Hi, Sally. You're on the air. Fire away. Hi, Bob. Yeah, I'm pulling for Jim Jordan also. Um, I wanted to mention um, some scientific discovery made um, on transgender issues back in the 90s that get ignored. And I wanted to add to your excellent interview on on Monday. Um, the scientists found that either XX or X or an XY chromosome is found in every single cell and organ of our bodies, independent of hormones like estro, estrogen and testosterone. In addition, binary sex differences are found in the earliest stages of de- development. So sex, sex is inborn, established at conception, unchanging, it's permanent, and binary, either male or female. So no spectrum exists. Finally, the huge increase in reported cases of transgender identities over the last decade cannot be explained by science, but is a product mostly of social contagion. So let's follow the science and vote no in November on issue one to protect our children from all the hype. Thanks, Great Bob. point. Way to, thank you, Sally. Way to bring it home at the end there to tie that to the uh, to the vote in November. You're exactly right. And everything you just said is uh, is 100% true as well. Sex is inborn. It is, deci- it is decided at conception. Um, God, if you believe God makes all life, God decides at conception. It is not, quote, assigned at birth by some doctor. Uh, well said. Uh, Charlie Brownell. Hey, Charlie, fire away. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Uh, absolutely, Jim Jordan, unless, especially only if I think if they can do a not, no cut contract, like, you know, they can't just vote them out with, you know, five or seven people. That will just happen again. But what Ken Kitchenelli was saying is once we get the will to turn these people around, I'm, I'm afraid there, we have so many now that they're going to get violent. They're going to, we could have gangs and riots and, all kinds of, I mean, there's going to be a safety issue. I just was wondering, you know, how are we going to get rid of these people if we have the will to do it? Well, the will isn't there to do it. Um, and you're right, there probably will be violence. Um, but, you know, this is why we need to win an election. Because if we take the the handcuffs off of ICE and allow them to do what they do, they're perfectly ready and willing and capable of using physical force to get people who are here illegally that are being deported to take them into custody, detain them and process them and get them on the first, you know, bus, train, ship, flight, whatever, out back to their country of origin. Um, we have to give ICE the authority to go back and do what ICE does. That was taken away by Biden. Uh, essentially, they have uh, said ICE doesn't exist anymore. They have no powers to do that. So but and, and of course, if we win and elect the right president, we will probably double or triple the force of ICE, and we'll have agents who will want to take those jobs because they know they'll have the backing of the administration. Uh, that's that's what would have to happen. Yeah, it may take military. I mean, it's just gonna, it's just going to be a scary situation. Self deportation. Yeah. 
they're not going to want to go. No, no, of course not. No, of course they're not. Of course they're not. They're not. Uh, you know, I mean, the only, the only, and thank you for the call, Charlie. The only way they would is if we cut off literally every resource that they count on to survive here. Every single thing that we give them. If we say, nope, if you are not eligible because you are not here legally, you get nothing. And if they find themselves homeless and hungry, maybe they will go back to the other, uh, to the country they came from. Pete in Illyria. Hey, Pete, go ahead. Hi, Bob. Hey, I am white and I am straight, but um, besides that... <laughs> Got to make sure we identify ourselves, right? Kareem did. They made sure to let us know. Right on. Uh, your talk with Dave is the uh, election integrity. This is something I've been harping on for a long time, especially in college towns, especially in Oberlin, because I've heard these kids brag time and time again about casting their socialist ballots at home and in Oberlin. And there's got to be a way to double-check or something, some registry. Yeah, there's no doubt. Well, I mean, there is a registry, of course. Voter registrations and voter rolls are very, very clear. Those who are, yeah, right. And and there is a system in place to do that. You know, LaRose, who I'm going to talk with here just in a few minutes after we're done with you, uh, you know, we're, uh, he, he actually got us uh, connected with a bunch of other states to share information to make sure that we are not having people who are on, uh, registered in one state or registered in another. Uh, so that's one good thing. And then, of course, obviously getting rid of people who have died or people who have moved, clearing their names from the voter rolls, that is extraordinarily important. And I think Ohio has done a pretty good job of that. Um, but, yeah, I'm worried, too, about illegals who are here or uh, people who are here legally studying at Oberlin College or anywhere else who are going to go ahead, though. And, uh, you know, while they're here legally, they're not citizens. They don't have voting rights, and they're going to do it anyway uh, because they're being encouraged to do so, especially if they convince people that Hitler is running on the Republican side. And that's how they explain and define Donald Trump. Yeah. They do. They they use that. They use that. And thanks for the call, Pete. They use that pejorative. They use that that you know most dangerous and and terrifying prospect of Hitler 2.0, which is how they see him coming back to power. So if it means cheating to stop him, then we will cheat. That is exactly their mindset. Thank you for the call. We'll take a time out here. We'll talk to Secretary of State LaRose next. Always right radio. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1035 on this Friday. Thanks again to my guest last uh, segment, or or two segments I should say, ago was uh, Ken Cuccinelli, who is the former acting Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security and now is in charge of the uh, election transparency Inst- uh, transparency institute he specifically praised ohio for some of the work that they have done to help ensure uh election transparency and that would mean some kudos to uh secretary of state frank larose and uh coincidentally or not that's who we jo- are joined by now here on am 1420 the answer uh secretary larose good to have you back on the program how are you good to be back on happy friday and yeah we're proud of the work that we're doing to make sure that people can trust our elections and participate in our elections and as we know We've got a pretty consequential one coming up in November. I'm actually on my way to the March for Life in Columbus right now to join with hundreds of other pro-life Ohioans saying vote no on issue one. That is fantastic, uh, and that is very important. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, 
what uh, uh, Mr. Cuccinelli and I talked about, though, was uh, this you know move in Pennsylvania and some other places as well to do automatic voter registration when you when you get your yeah. driver's license registered for your driver's license or state ID or automatically register to vote. Um, it does not bring with it any checks about your uh, uh, eligibility to vote, your citizenship status, and so on and so forth. Whether or not you're a felon, all of these things are very important, and more importantly, I think too. Uh, former Secretary Cuccinelli said that, uh, you know, intent matters. You know, when people have to go and register, you know, it shows they have a deliberate intent and an interest in the elections. And therefore, they're going to be casting, one would think, informed votes as opposed to, well, somebody registered me because I went and had to get my driver's license renewed, so I guess I'll go vote. I have no idea what's going on. Those kind of things are important, aren't they? They are important. And listen, we make it easy to register in Ohio. We want it to be an easy process. That There's really no excuse for not being a registered voter. But, you know, there's that old song by the rock band Rush that has the line, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Well, some people choose not to decide. And if you don't want to be registered to vote, you should also have the freedom to do that. For example, some of our members of the Amish community or what have you prefer to, to not be registered to vote. Well, that's their choice. And so this is why in Ohio we make it easy to register we make it secure and honest. There are checks to make sure that only citizens can get registered to vote. We make sure that if you're you know, registering to vote in Ohio, that you're not also registered to vote in another state, for example. But the idea of automatic voter registration is not something I'm supportive of. Yeah, I, I concur, and and you're right. You should have a right to not register. I hope every citizen wants to vote, and I hope they cast informed votes. Whether they agree with me or not is irrelevant as long as they're informed. I like that, but uh, intent to register would indicate intent to vote in a meaningful way, and uh, and so I, I, I completely support what they're doing there. Um, so with respect to... Ohio's elections, again, you're getting praise for the way things have been handled. And you, the last time you and I talked, it was after the uh, uh, you you know got us out of the ERIC system and that ERIC alliance, Correct. if you will, and you put us in uh, into a bit of a pact or something of a pact with some other states. Can you give us an update on that? Have any more states joined the pact that you are in to make sure that we share information so people aren't double registered in, in different states? Yeah, so we're up to three right now. We've got several others in the works. And by the way, both Republican and Democratic-leaning states have an interest in making sure that they have accurate voter rolls, that people aren't double voting. And so in Ohio, we're working to replace Eric with something that's going to be better, more accountable. As you've heard me say, the idea behind Eric initially was, was a good one. But the problem is everything that liberals touches, everything that liberals touch turns to crap. And this was kind of one of them. And so we pulled out of it, and what we've been doing in, in place of it is setting up these collaborative arrangements with other states where we can compare data. We want to know if somebody votes in Ohio and in Florida, and we have the ability to do that. And this is going to keep growing through uh, the 2024 election and beyond so that we can compare our voter rolls with other states in a secure way. Yeah, that's uh, that's extraordinarily important as well. So in addition to the, uh, well, let's move to issue one and issue two. As a matter of fact, you say you're on your way to the March for Life in Columbus, and that's great. Uh, but I, I want to get to your Senate campaign as well. But let's talk about this and how important this is. We are early voting is what, four days, five days away? Um, it starts next week, yeah. yeah. And, and in fact, it's already underway for our overseas and military personnel. So the 2024 general election, sorry, 2023 general election, is already underway for our overseas and military personnel. Outstanding. That's 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 tremendous, and it's so very important that we do this early. Secretary LaRose, can you speak, you know, 
again, I don't mean to be redundant because you and I have talked about this before, but those who didn't get the message, it is so important for us as Republicans to start embracing early voting. I tried so hard to use the football metaphor during the uh, lead up to the August election, uh, the special election, that there's four quarters. There's four weeks of early voting. Treat them like four quarters. We have to put points on the board in each quarter, not wait till election day, which can be, you know, metaphorically considered, you know, the, the two minute warning. Now it's the two minute warning. How many points can we score on the, at the very last second? We've got to put votes in the bank for four straight weeks because the left has made so much ground or, or taken so much of a lead on us in that very same, with that very same practice. And I'll continue your football analogy. Any smart football coach knows that he can score points by running, by passing, or by kicking. And we can score points as conservative voters. We can score votes by early voting, by absentee voting, or by in-person Election Day voting. It would be foolish of us to say, hey, we're going to try to win this football game only with passing instead of running and kicking and passing. And so it's the same kind of thing. Imagine this. Say you're planning to vote on Election Day because you're a traditionalist and that's what you want to do. Well, imagine you get sick or your kid gets sick or the car breaks down. We can't afford to leave votes uh, behind because, you know, folks are just waiting to the last minute. And here's the other advantage. And this is where the Democrats have played this game very well. It's helpful to the campaigns to be able to know who has voted already. In fact, how you voted is, of course, private and confidential. But we know that our folks have already voted. And if you don't want to get the mailings and the social media messages and all of that, voting early, they'll take you off the contact list. And so we can focus on only contacting those folks that still haven't voted yet to make sure we turn out our people. So there's a lot of good reasons, and it's secure in Ohio. I know that folks see things happening in other states, and that causes them concern. In Ohio, voting absentee is secure. And here's another great reason to consider voting absentee. You're allowed to cheat on the test. Follow me on this. If you're voting in person on Election Day, you kind of have to have your mind made up. And you may vote for the wrong school board candidate or the wrong city council candidate because these are local elections and people don't always pay enough attention. When you vote from home, you can flip open your laptop, you can get on your phone, you can call a friend, and in 20 minutes, you can cast a very informed ballot. You can vote for conservative school board members. You can vote for conservative city council members because in many cases, they don't have a party identification on it. So you're not going to have that clue in the voting booth. When you vote absentee, you're allowed to cheat on the test. That's exactly right. That's a great example. Um, and we're talking with Secretary of State Frank LaRose. So to the to the point on issue one, um, I, I think Many people were, in fact, I know many people were confused because I talked to many of them back in August. And the way things flipped, you know, back in August, we wanted a yes. Now we want a no. The Democrats back in August wanted a no. Now they want a yes. People were confused. And people who are pro-life cast the wrong ballots back in November, or excuse me, back in August in order to try to, you know, raise the threshold of uh, uh, to 60% to, to pass a constitutional amendment. How do we clear it up this time? Are you confident that pro-lifers and those who don't want children to be uh, experimented on and be allowed to, without parental consent or input, be able to start puberty blockers and chemical castrations and the like uh, in order to start the sex change process? Are you confident that people know what the what the amendment says and which way they should be voting this time? I'm confident they will. And and here's the easy thing to remember. Tell all your friends it's November. <laughs> remember, you're voting in November, and no is the right vote. 
this is also why things like this uh, are, are challenging and why we don't have a direct democracy. We, in fact, have a representative republic, a constitutional republic, because putting important questions like this on as constitutional amendments every year is going to be is going to be problematic. But Ohioans will know to vote no in November. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of reasons why. And even listen, I'm strongly pro-life, always have been. But even some of my pro-choice friends that I talk to, when you explain to them what this dangerous issue one actually does, they'll say, oh, wow, that's too extreme for me. It legalizes abortion all the way through the end of pregnancy. A fully formed, viable child could be killed under this. It takes away parental rights. As you mentioned, it opens the door to underage gender transition. That's child abuse. That shouldn't be legalized in our state constitution. That should be strictly forbidden in Ohio. Issue one does those things, and I think common sense Ohioans will recognize that. They'll do their own homework, and they'll vote no on this dangerous issue one. Yeah, I certainly hope that is the case. Uh, we're talking to Secretary of State Frank LaRose. And then briefly on issue two, um, you know, I, I was speaking with DJ Swearingen about this, uh, about something different, actually. Um, in hour number one, and of course he brought up issue one, and I moved on after issue one and didn't give much time to issue two. I had to go back to it because it takes a back seat, uh, because of the importance and the, you know, the, the severity of things in the state of Ohio if issue one fails. But issue two is very important as well, also to youth. Um, you know, legalizing marijuana, in my estimation, is going to get more kids, even though it's going to be, it's going to be illegal for kids anyway, but it's going to put more weed in more hands and more availability to more kids. Uh, it is going to kill productivity. It is going to increase traffic accidents. It's just a disaster to start legalizing uh, recreational drugs in the state of Ohio, and I don't know if enough people are paying attention to issue two. So take a look at where the business community is on this, and they're speaking out loud and clear that they're concerned about this, and they want people to vote no on it. You people that own uh, trucking companies or manufacturing facilities or construction companies are very concerned about this. Listen, I was out in Colorado a couple weeks ago on Army Reserve duty. You know, I'm a reservist in the military, and Denver is a mess. I mean, and it's, this is one of the reasons uh, I was in New York doing some fundraising for my campaign for Senate. I went for a run one morning. At 7.30 in the morning, there were a bunch of kids lined up to go into a preschool, and the smell of marijuana in the air, as these kids were lining up to go into preschool, was heavy. And and it made me think, this is part of the problem. This is what we should be concerned about. And so, again, if we've got libertarian-minded conservatives that are like, well, hey, what harm does it do? Do your own homework on this, because I think that there are some pretty big concerns. And it doesn't just simply legalize marijuana. It also creates all of these new funds in the state budget with all of these lefty kind of uh, uh, social justice purposes that they're going to take the tax revenue from this and and devote it to that. So, again, do your homework. Go on our website at VoteOhio.gov. You can read what actually is included in this and be well informed when you cast your vote uh, for both Issue 1 and Issue 2. Yeah, very, very, that's good advice. I hope people do exactly that. It's uh, it's it's very important. So um, let's talk about the Senate campaign. Um, last time I saw surveys, you were leading both Matt Dolan and Bernie Marino. Of course, there's still a long way to go to primary time. But um, tell me, uh, tell me how you're feeling about the campaign right now. 
They're feeling very good. I mean, first of all, as you mentioned, for five months now, I've had double-digit leads in the polls. The most recent poll just two weeks ago, a large poll of likely voters showed that I continue to lead the Republican field by double digits. In fact, my percentage in that poll is more than the other two candidates combined. Now, but here's what people should ask. Who is best equipped to beat Sherrod Brown? The other two are nice guys, but I don't think either of them have the strength, the name ID, the statewide experience to defeat a tough incumbent. I'm also the one who's tied neck and neck with Brown, 44 points each. And the Democrats are scared of me. That's why they're attacking me. Look at the way that, well, look at the way the press attacks Trump. It's because they're afraid of him. They're attacking me the same way. Sherrod Brown knows that I'm the most dangerous weapon against him. And that's why I hope that Republicans will get behind me so that we can defeat this dangerous leftist and take back the U.S. Senate majority. And I'll be the first Green Beret in U.S. Senate history as well, which I think is important as Biden continues to make the world more and more dangerous. That special operations experience will be valuable. Do you worry about, you know, you said the Democrats are are afraid of you and they're trying to stop you. Do you worry about the Trump factor, considering your previous stances and statements uh, being never Trump uh, before his first election uh, and, in fact, during his first term? Because we have have had this conversation with a number of candidates for a number of things, you know, where they stood on Trump before. J.D. Vance, obviously, you know, went through this where he was totally against Trump and eventually he ended up getting endorsed by Trump. Uh, but, you know, you've had a lot of uh, real negative things to say about Trump. You know how huge his lead is. Talk about double-digit leads uh, in the presidential primaries. His voters are going to have a major say in every primary across this country, uh, his supporters. Are you are you worried about things like that, uh, uh, Secretary of State LaRose, in terms of your viability statewide? Well, listen, that's a false narrative that's being pushed by the third place candidate, a guy named Bernie, uh, who had a lot nastier things to say about Trump than I've ever said. Listen, I, I will admit that I was fooled by the former governor who was running for president. I thought it was uh, a neat thing to have somebody like uh, like an Ohioan running uh, for, for president. And I initially supported him, as a lot of Ohioans did. Thankfully, that didn't uh, pan out, and he's proven to be an unabashed leftist and, and not somebody that we would want in the White House. I have been a Trump supporter. I voted for him in 2016. I voted for him in 2020. In fact, I worked on the presidential inaugural. Uh, I was the one that buckled his grandchildren into their car seats for the motorcade parade because I was part of the staff that was helping to put that event together. So I've been a longtime Trump supporter. That doesn't mean we've agreed on everything. In fact, Lauren well, and I don't if, agree if, on everything. If, if I may, if I may, I just... Yeah, I, w- I want to clarify this, too, because, you know, I I didn't hear Bernie Moreno mention anything about you being never Trump. Um, I, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking at I mean, I'm this is from August. So it's two months ago. Uh, I'm looking at a, at a Breitbart article. This is where I got this. Thing. This his, is written by his, Matthew Boyer, where it said you got, called Trump. I'm sorry. Posted, yeah. OK. His uh, team planted that. And, and that are, that that reporter wouldn't even talk to us before doing that. So that was one of those bought and paid for things. It's not true. I've never been a never-Trumper. That's complete nonsense. In fact, I'm a proud Trump supporter. I've endorsed him. I had dinner with him just a couple weeks ago where we talked about this race, and I believe I'll eventually earn his support if he decides to get into this race. Did you, I mean, because, again, I'm only going by the article, so I'm asking the question. This is not an allegation. It alleges that in a tweet, which I'm sure would still be there, that you actually called Trump racist. Is that accurate? 100% false. Uh, in fact, de- demonstrably, provably false. When I was asked by a reporter about one of the comments the president had made about some Democrat members of the House, 
I said, they said, is that a racist comment? I said, it can sound that way, but that's not how he meant it. I said, it sounds that way, but that's not how he meant it. And that's, that was my honest take on it. Listen, uh, people play games in a primary, especially when they're in a distant third, like my opponent is, and so they get false stories like this planted. My Trump credentials are golden, rock solid. That doesn't mean, again, that I've, that I've agreed with him on everything, but I'm a strong supporter. I'm endorsing him. I have endorsed him, and uh, we work well with him. In fact, the thing that you started this segment talking about, the transparency that uh, we're working to get done, was yeah. a bill that we got done with the America First Policy Institute. I've gotten important legislation done for the Trump team here in Ohio. I've made it clear that we're not going to buy into this crazy fringe theory that the left is pushing about the 14th Amendment to try to keep President Trump off the ballot. And again, in silly season of a primary, people are going to make things uh, make things up, and I'm not going to be faced by that. Um, Secretary LaRose, the, you mentioned and you kind of glossed over your original support for Kasich, and then said he turned out to be, you know, uh, you know, a left wing. Uh, I forget exactly how you worded it a moment ago, a leftist or or whatever. At what point did you realize you had made a huge mistake? At what point did Kasich become clear to you what he was? When his personal obsession and personal hatred for Donald Trump started to cloud everything he did. Uh, And that carried on, by the way, after the election, when he continued to veto bills that we were passing to do good conservative policy. I'm proud that I voted numerous times to override his vetoes. I don't know what happened to him, but he had been a strong fiscal conservative. Uh, He turned into this guy who was just sort of obsessed with his hatred for President Trump and uh, and again, people like Moreno supported uh, Kasich as well, and and so I think uh, maybe some some others were were, were fooled by him. But but uh, again, that's what you uh, you live and learn about. Uh, President Trump is the right man for the job in 2024. He is both fearless and feared, and that's why the left is coming after him, trying to defame him. Here is a good man, a successful businessman, and they're trying to. Uh, they're trying to come after him in the courts. They're trying to come after him in the media, and I'm standing solidly behind him. We're talking to Secretary of State and Senate candidate Frank LaRose. He is indeed leading, as he pointed out, in double digits in uh, the most recent polling in the race uh, for the primary the primary race, I should say, for the Senate to take on Sherrod Brown against Matt Dolan and Bernie, uh, Bernie Moreno. Last thing, and I don't want this to sound like I'm putting you on trial here, but obviously every Republican voter in Ohio needs to needs to know these things. And if well, I this is a anything, job interview, so I appreciate yeah, it, it. it. Well, you're right, it is. Thank you for seeing it that way, because that's exactly right. Uh, and one of the tougher questions in this particular job interview would be about the culture wars that we are fighting every day. You just mentioned, and we've talked about the danger of issue one, not just for the abortion aspect, but for the parents' rights and, uh, you know, kids not being transitioned and so forth. So the LGBTQ issues are front and center in the culture wars. You were a name sponsor of the gay games in 2014. That has a lot of conservatives who are very worried about the LGBTQ agenda that is advancing throughout this country every day, and certainly here in the state of Ohio as well. Can you speak to that and uh, what you would say to conservatives who are concerned about that? Well, I wasn't a a, a sponsor of it. I wrote a letter of support for it to bring it to Cleveland because I thought it would have some good economic impact. I believe that the Cleveland Chamber of Commerce had asked a bunch of us in the legislature to do that, and it did have a multi-million dollar economic impact on the community. Uh, Listen, I am somebody who uh, believes that people should be hired or fired based on the quality of the work that they do. And so, you know, I've been supportive of non-discrimination for 
for you know for, for gay Ohioans because I think that people should get their job or keep their job based on how well they do. The problem with the radical gay agenda is that it's gone far beyond that. It's gone to this crazy idea about indoctrinating children, uh, gender ideology, girls using boys' bathrooms, boys using girls' bathrooms. That's the stuff that everybody recognizes is, is the slippery slope that goes too far. Listen, if uh, if one of your gay friends or neighbors uh, wants to live their life and have the, the right to, to have a job or whatever else, one thing. This nonsense about indoctrinating youth, youth uh, transition, all that stuff is dangerous and needs to be called out. It's very different from saying, hey, somebody shouldn't be fired for being gay. Well, I appreciate that response. It is important. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard a lot of very smart people say that there is no LGBT. You know, one of them is actually is a presidential candidate. Vivek Ramaswamy has worded it this way. There is no LGBTQ community. There are They are all separate communities. And there is something very different yeah. between the L and the G and the B uh, from the T and uh, from all of the other uh, letters and symbols that come wow. after that. There's all all the other acronym soup, yeah, for yeah, sure. Listen, yeah, my really view is very similar to President. My view on this is very similar to President Trump's. The radical gay agenda is dangerous and needs to be called out. That's different from equal rights for employment. Very good. That's the reason I wanted to ask the question to get a good answer. Uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, I thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Keep up the uh, promotion of uh, no on issue one. Put the no back in November. Make sure people vote no on issue one and issue two. And thanks very much for the time. Thank you, Bob. All right, 1057, that ends the conversations with guests today, but it begins ours. So uh, free for all, next hour. It's all yours, 216-901-0945. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway. Seven minutes past 11 o'clock, sixth morning, 10th month, year of our Lord, 2023, and the third and final hour of our Free For All Friday! (laughs) Mr. Scream is in rare form for hour number three. How about the missus? Oh, she sounds wonderful as well. Appreciate you being with us. I want your phone calls, 216-901-0945. Anything you want to talk about is fair game. Anything we've done today, interviews we've done, by the way, conversation we had in uh, uh, the uh, first hour of the program this morning was an important one with DJ Swearingen. We're going to get that one uploaded to the uh, webpage ASAP. Check out all the interviews, of course, at the podcast page, whkradio.com. But I will feature some of them on my Rumble page as well. And uh, that is going to be one of them. That was a really important conversation we had about the Parents' Bill of Rights and also the um, 
Never Alone Act, which are very big in the state of Ohio. So those things will be coming up. If you want to talk about those, we can do it. If you want to talk about something else we've talked about, you can do it. If you want to talk about something we've never even mentioned, you can do that, too. That's the beauty of Free For All Friday, 216-901-0945. By the way, super quick, J.D. Vance is on fire. Senator J.D. Vance is on fire. He is introducing legislation in the Senate. Whether it gets through or not is, of course, anybody's guess because it's a Democrat-controlled Senate. But he's been introducing legislation that is, re, you know, resembles to me in some ways some of the things that Ron DeSantis has done in Florida that made me such a huge supporter of his. Taking on um, massive efforts with very common-sense approaches, like when DeSantis took on CRT in the schools, out. When he took on grooming of children in schools, out took on you know the uh, uh, pornographic literature and pornographic illustrated books from uh, Florida schools out took on Disney and all of their grooming out all of those things I just absolutely love J.D. Vance is doing the same thing in the Senate just yesterday U.S. Senator J.D. Vance announced Wednesday he is or beg your pardon it's not Wednesday this ran Wednesday or uh, yesterday but it was from Wednesday that he's introduced legislation that would forbid the use of the X gender uh, designation on U.S. passports. He calls it the Passport Sanity Act. He's right! It's just common sense and sanity. It would prohibit the unspecified X gender from being listed on passports, passport cards, or consular reports at birth abroad, or reports of birth abroad, and require that application documents only include male and female genders. A statement from Vance that his bill, which is the Senate counterpart of the House of Representatives legislation, excuse me one moment, sorry, just a little cough necessary there, um, introduced by Texas Republican Chip Roy, which would restore sanity in our federal bureaucracy. The last thing the State Department should be doing, Vance's statement said, is wasting its time and your tax dollars pushing far-left gender ideology. There are only two genders. Passports issued by the United States government should recognize that simple fact. The State Department began offering the X gender designation on passports last year for the use of non-binary, intersex, and gender non-conforming individuals. In other words, more of the same crap that is plaguing our schools, our businesses, industries, corporate America, and so forth. More of the same crap being advanced by the government. A statement by... Secretary of State Anthony Blinken described doing so as another milestone in our work to better serve all U.S. citizens, regardless of their gender identity. No, it allows people to escape detection when they do things that they shouldn't be doing. It allows people, I mean, seriously, for the entirety of U.S. law enforcement history, when a suspect is being described when there's an all-points bulletin or a radio call, you know, break-in, carjacking, assault, violence, whatever, they tell them who they're looking for. Looking for white male in his 40s, black female, or whatever. And now, because of political correctness, you're not even allowed to identify the race unless it's white. Because if it's black or Hispanic, it's not even allowed to be talked about. And now we can't even say what sex it is either. We're looking for a man or a woman. It will narrow down the search grid based on what we're looking for. 
Um, this nonsense about just, uh, you know, people can identify themselves. I don't care what they identify as. They can play all of the charades that they want to, but when it comes to government recognition by way of passports, birth certificates, and so forth, yes, you, there's going to be an M or there's going to be an F. That's it. There is no other alternative. So, J.D. Vance, keep up the great work. He's doing tremendous stuff. He also introduced a bill last week. We talked to him about earlier this week. Um um, trying to kill the EV mandates, which, of course, are going to kill um, the automakers. And it's going to kill all of our economy with this crap that they're doing, all in service to their gangrene uh, initiatives. All right, uh, 216-901-0945, Derek in Richfield. Hi, Derek, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, hey morning, Bob. Thank you. Good morning, Good morning uh, Derek. The- um, let me ask you, Bob. So, when you were uh, going up to Michigan uh, to Hillsdale, um, so were you uh, bombarded by an abundance of leafy billboards going up through Michigan? Leafy billboards? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Oh, uh, you know, you go up through Michigan, and all on their highways, there are countless one after the other billboards oh. with you know, oh a, marijuana a, a, leaves. A <laughs> I'm sure there's no way you didn't notice it. Yeah, no, I probably did, but I didn't pay much attention to it. You know, you're on a two and a half hour drive, and I, I sometimes I look at the billboards, but sometimes I I don't. But you know what? Now that you are saying it, yes, yes, I did see them. I probably didn't pay attention oh. to them to talk about oh. them at the time, but yeah. yeah maybe you just had the highway seventy foot twenty three, but yeah, I mean, just like every one after the other, one after the other, and it is, um, you know, it's, it's the per, it's just another way the left of ruins ruined state. Uh, the land of the lotus eaters, you know, the Odyssey. We remember I do. that. It's, yep, of course. It's, it's exactly to create um, so people don't care. They're apathetic. Oh, but they do care. But see, that's also the frustrating thing. Uh, p- eligible voters that don't care about other issues or don't, or maybe not informed about other actual important issues. Things that are important. This is not important. But they'll go out of their, people go out of their way to vote for that. Not an important issue. Um, people have access to it, at, you know, re- regardless. Um, but it's, it's you know, another thing, and you're right. All the states, like out west, Washington State, the statistics are there. After they're, after all the legalization, uh, traffic accidents, crashes go way up. The numbers speak for themselves. Um, is a direct correlation with that. Um, good thing. And they don't care definitely- though. They don't care. Hold on. They don't care about the number of accidents. They don't care about the number of victims. They care about the number of dollars. Um, just since you brought it up. I went ahead and looked, uh, I did a little search here, Michigan uh, marijuana billboards, and I got an article here, why marijuana billboards are so common along Michigan's roadways. This is from uh, last year, September of last year, and the answer is um, the medical, or excuse me, recreational marijuana industry in Michigan at that point had already surpassed $1 billion in sales. It is expected to reach $3 billion in the coming years, and of course, they tax on that, and so they care more about the amount of money you can make for the state than they do about the health, the well-being of people, of drivers, of you know innocent victims of, of all kinds of things through legal uh, that come with legalized weed. Well, of course. So, yeah, the, the, the revenue... Um, but, you know, one thing I definitely noticed, I, um, I hope I'm not jinxing us here, but I, you know, I do not see, I, I have not seen one billboard, you know, little sign anywhere of uh, issue two. I've only, you know, a few on issue one, a few, yes, not as much as, you know, obviously, um, the, the special, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the vote we had before August in August. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So definitely not, doesn't seem to be the enthusiasm 
of that. I don't hear people even talking about issue two. Uh, hopefully that's a good sign. It didn't just, just jinx us here. But, but I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. It's just, it's a, again, degrade the culture, make, make people apathetic and not care about anything. It's, and just and they can, and the left can destroy the country. And as long as people are just oblivious and in a you know in a stupor, then I guess they let them get away with it. Yeah. Well, you're right. Um, the problem is they only need fifty percent of however many people vote. Just because you're not seeing a lot of signs doesn't mean there's not going to be a lot of people voting. Because what's going to drive them to the polls is issue one. And obviously, the pro-abort, pro-death side—they're gonna—they're gonna be coming out in droves the way they did against the August eighth initiative to raise the threshold because they knew if we had passed that doggone thing, um, and it took sixty percent to legalize weed in the Constitution and to legalize abortion on demand up until birth and the whole nine yards, we'd be in a lot better shape right now. So they're gonna come out uh, in big numbers, I think, to support. Uh, issue one, those who say that this is about a woman and her doctor and all this other crap that they do. And while they're there, those are the, that's the same mindset most of the drug users and the drug use supporters are going to have as well. So if they, if, uh, my point is if they pass issue one, the chances are with the turnout, they're going to pass issue two also. And, you know, it, it's just, it's just sad that this, you know, that this has to be like a, a public thing. Again, you know, people obviously just access to it. I mean, that's <laughs> not. Stopping, you know, have to legalize, have dispensaries in every corner for people to get it. But the fact that it has to be like you know, it just publicly accepted, and then of course just to make normalize it, and then kids see and grow up. I mean, you just just see what this is. I even remember Bill O'Reilly talking about this specific thing. He was actually he was with some youth group, um, you know, and he's talking about the puns. And there we are, we can't even go anywhere without the public pot smokers. They don't care where it is, right in front of kids. Like like just you know, just keep it to yourself. I mean, why does it have every all this stuff have to be public? Well, because we know to degrade our culture. Yeah, very much so. That is a huge part. Derek, it's a great call. Very observant, very astute. Thanks so much for making the call. I appreciate it. it but yeah, like I said, I guarantee you, there's going to be. I won't say I guarantee. I will not be surprised if there are otherwise conservative, social conservatives in Ohio. They're going to vote for issue two for the money. They may be socially conservative, but they are fiscally concerned. And if they think they can make a billion dollars like they did in Michigan or three billion dollars and take make the tax revenue off of all of that, it'll swell their coffers because there's nothing like they, they like more, uh, you know, in the state house. The same thing in the Congress is spending. Um, I, I really, really am worried about it. I'm worried about issue two. I'm not saying I'm surrendering. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to fight, 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 fight to get these votes cast in all four quarters of the early voting, as I said to DJ Swearingen and others, uh, and Frank LaRose. I'm going to fight to do this, to, to no, put the no in November on both issues one and two, but I would be lying if I said I was super optimistic. I feel like we're going to have a very uphill fight there, particularly on issue two. Mikhail in Beechwood. Hello, Mikhail. Good to have you back on the program. How are you? I'm uh, mostly out of trouble, but uh, our state, not so much. Agreed. Um, well said. So, uh, main reason for the call is to remind everybody that everybody's got school board elections in Ohio. And all school boards in Ohio, once again, reminder, are five people each, all of them. So, everybody who's listening comes in Ohio, you have a school board. Um, many of these races are contested. There are no party identifications on the ballots for any of them. You have two or three seats up on odd years like this one. Sometimes there are four because of resignations and other special cases. But you have to do your homework. Even going to the county 
uh, Republican Party or other sources may not necessarily tell you who the good candidates are. I give you my shortcut to, uh, to do this homework. I proactively go on the Democrat websites and the Democrat progressive neo-socialist social media groups and sites on Facebook and elsewhere, and I see who they are pimping, who they are pushing. So you know to do the opposite. That's a um, I can go through many examples on the east side of Cuyahoga County, but I'm sure the people are going to be bored with all the different races. But the main point is do your work, and if you don't have a competitive school board, then you have to make preparations for two years from now to run your own candidates. And it doesn't always have to be candidates that line up on all the issues like CRT, transgender, and the, and the problematic curriculum. It could be that just the candidates that are opposed to excessive tax levy. So um, with a lot of these independent candidates, I mean, there's a reason why they're independent, because they don't listen to Bob France, right? So they don't know about these CRT and transgender issues. And some of the good-natured parents may not know what the, these neo-commies in the school districts are doing to their kids. So if you campaign on this transgender stuff, they look at you weird because they don't know that any of this is happening, especially in their so-called good community. So you got to be really smart, do your homework, and tell others. Because of the low turnout, uh, the few votes that you bring from your friends and relatives really do make a difference. I'll tell you what, Mikhail, that's a great phone call, every single word of it, and uh, and I hope parents are awake. I hope there aren't people who aren't aware or are, are unaware of the uh, uh, of CRT and SEL and all of the other things that their kids are facing, and it's literally the front lines, as I said to a different guest today. Uh, th- that's where the school board members are. They are literally the front lines of, uh, of defense for us, uh, and uh, we need to make sure that we have as many of those good, solid people con- uh, committed to education and not that radical indoctrination in charge of our school on those boards. So, Mikhail, thank you for sounding that. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the call. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. He is spot on. Steve is in Brexville next. Hi, Steve. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, hey, um, you know, I wanted to uh, uh, spend a few minutes uh, and find myself in an uncomfortable position of uh, Disagreeing with you on this whole McCarthy issue. That's all right. Um, you know, I thought I thought I'd wait a few days because you know when people are upset they say stupid things and a lot of stupid things got said and we don't need more of that. So, um, you know, to begin with, um, McCarthy was just another guy in my opinion in the long line of Boehner, Ryan, and Eric Cantor, and uh, you know, love her or hate her, Pelosi knew how to win, and you know, the guys we've had there just don't. You know, look at where they've been for the last 30 years, and we got nowhere good. So, you know, number one, he just wasn't the right guy, and it was time for us to cut our losses. Second, the chaos in my before, before you continue, start... hold on, hold on. Let, let yeah. me hit that part yeah. first with a follow-up sure. question. When is the last time you felt like we had a really good Republican speaker who could unify and get things done? Well, you know, I hate to admit I'm old, but... Um, you know, I guess I got to go back to Gingrich, you know, I mean, which has surprised me because he jumped all over Gates for this whole commotion. And he, he was did. the last guy to actually, he was the last guy to shut the, the government down. So I, yeah. I think he kind of lost his mojo there, there on this. I didn't understand where he was coming from with that, but I, you know, I got my reasons and I can, 
kind of well, go through. Well, the, the, re- the reason uh, I ask is is because that would be my answer too. He was the most effective Republican speaker. You just said, you know, love Pelosi or hate her. She got things done. She unified her party. Uh, so did Gingrich, and Gingrich is the one who literally pointed out what I believe is the correct, you know, issue here, and that is the fact that no. Uh, speaker, even if it's Jim Jordan, or even I kind of joked about this yesterday, even if it were Donald Trump, is going to be able to unify everybody in the Republican co- conference because it's such a slim, a slim lead, uh, you know, slim majority rather. And even if they did, it would go to the Senate, and everything would go there to die, and we would still get nothing done. And the reality is, well, that in today's Republican Party, we just don't have unanimity we you know and and in many ways it's our strength but in many ways it's our weakness we don't succumb to and subscribe to groupthink i don't think nancy pelosi was necessarily great at bringing all of her people together they all agreed to do that because they are more united in their in their belief in marxist socialist policies then we are united against them and they're more than happy yeah, they're, they're to, to join together and 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 they don't need a they don't need a great uniter to do it they could have anybody do that it's just that in the republicans we all have a lot of very different priorities yeah well they're they're sheep over there and that's true they are yes sir um, they are i guess my point is that the chaos in my opinion did not start on monday i see this whole thing as a, almost a distraction at the food fight chaos is what we've had for the last three years, the border, child trafficking, Ukraine, mm-hmm. low oil reserve, woke culture, um, the CRT, the FBI spying on our citizens, the big tech censorship. So if, if you want to talk about chaos, you know, you've got to look at what's going to happen if we lose the status of the reserve currency and the banks. There's a lot of banks out there right now whose balance sheets and bond positions are underwater. And you may remember that we had the Silicon Valley Bank thing earlier this year. You're, you're going to see some more of that because, you know, they're hanging by a thread. And I think Gates is the only guy who realizes the severity of these problems. You know, McCarthy, in my opinion, about you there? I'm listening to you. Yeah, I'm just waiting okay, so I can I- give you my response to that. But go ahead. Okay, I, he got fired, and I think he got fired for good reasons. You know, he had three or four simple things that he had to do when he took that job, and he he signed on for them. He was supposed to give them seventy-two hours to read the, le- the legislation. He did not do that. He was supposed to hold at one hundred and fifty billion. He said, "I saw an interview with Rosendale. He had a meeting with him. Said he was going to stick to that." He walks across the street and goes to the White House, and he rolled on that. And the reason he rolled on all this stuff was he was afraid of a shutdown. He didn't want that to happen. You know, and I, again, I'll take you back to a headline in Atlantic Magazine in December of 2018. Gingrich shuts the government down 23 years ago. We're still using Pelosi's budget. He was supposed to get separate bills. He didn't do that. There were no cuts. No border commitment. And frankly, he was always going to fold on Ukraine. There was nothing he was going to do. The receipts are in on that. He wasn't going to do anything with Ukraine. So we needed to cut our losses and go. Another okay. thing. Let, well, well, well I, I can't. I can't let you go to the other thing because we're we're just about out of time okay. here, and I, I wanted to give okay. you as much uninterrupted time to say what you had to say, so I can respond to it very okay. briefly here. So keep listening, but thank you for the call. Um, uh, listen. You're not wrong about many of the things that you just said, but I would tell you 
Wait a month and tell me how anything is different with the new speaker. Wait two months and tell me how anything is different with the new speaker. Wait three months because I think that it's going to be the same way. Even with the new speaker, you're not going to change the minds of so many of the Republican voters. And guess what? Half of the Republican voters in the conference support funding Ukraine, along with all of the Democrats. That's not going to stop. A speaker isn't going to change that. The votes are still going to be what the votes are. Um, and as far as crumbling and, and, and you know uh, on the appropriations bills and on spending and so forth, again, same exact story. You can have a great idea, a great speaker, sponsoring and supporting some great legislation coming out of committees, coming before a House vote, and you still have a very slim majority and you may not get it passed. And if you do, it dies in the Senate. So my, my point is, look one, two, three, six months down the road and tell me if things are going to be any different under whoever it is than they were under McCarthy and my money says no they won't be drastically different at all and we will have gone through this chaos uh for no reason and all it does is make us look i believe uh unable to lead but that's my view i appreciate yours great call thank you for that life liberty and the pursuit of happiness always right radio with bob france on the answer okay 1136 one more segment to go, to go and uh, a few more phone calls from you at 216 If you missed the interviews today with DJ Swearingen and uh, with um, uh, Frank LaRose and Ken Cuccinelli, any of those or all of those, or uh, great open, by the way, today, Not uh, that's not supposed to be self-congratulatory, but what I mean is important information about the hypocrisy of our federal government and the Biden regime on the new border wall construction that they're about to engage in. If you missed any or all of that, shame on you. You should be here. But I'll let it slide, and I'm going to let you hear it anyway. It's at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Uh, on the podcast page. All of that stuff will be there. Also, don't forget to follow me on my social media because I'll post some great uh, segments of our show there as well. On Twitter at France Rants with Zs, not Ss, France Rants. On uh, Facebook at uh, Always Right Radio and on uh, Rumble at Always Right Radio as well. Laura is in Wadsworth and up next on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, Bob. I'd like to invite you and your listeners to the Medina County Friends and Neighbors meeting that's going to be held next Saturday, October 14th at 9 a.m. at the Thirsty Cowboy, which is at the intersection of I-71 and Route 18. Did Lisa they, Woods uh, hire you? Um, no, she didn't. I work for free. <laughs> I'm teasing, of course. Lisa always gives us the update on McFan. Uh, it's rare that we get somebody Lisa, else telling us about it, but go ahead. She's Well, she's on vacation, so ah, um, okay. I'm calling for her. So, okay, First speaker will be Bernie Marino, who's running for candidate for U.S. Senate in next mm-hmm. year's Republican primary. And the second speaker will be Mr. Tom Haviland, who's a data analyst who created the worldwide embalmer blood clot survey that investigated the appearance of new and unusual white fibrous clots in corpses and their potential link to the COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. And I hope we'll have many people attend to hear Bernie and Tom. I do too. Those are those are two great speakers on two very important issues. Obviously, the Senate race, and uh, certainly uh, more and more information coming out about the dangers of those shots. <clears throat> I still refuse to call them vaccines. I may sometimes slip out of habit, but uh, but those shots, those darts uh, that were filled with poison, as far as I'm concerned, and more and more evidence is stacking up, uh, pointing to exactly that. So so yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. I'm sure uh, we'll talk about it again between now and next Saturday. 
uh, so that people can be reminded of it. But, but, but uh, Medina County Friends and Neighbors, great place to be. Always a lot of great information and great community there as well. So thank you, Laura. Appreciate it. God bless. Thank Let's you, go to, You got it. Let's go to Maple Heights. Chuck, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Chuck. Good morning, sir. Always morning. a pleasure, okay? Your show yes, is wonderful, and I appreciate you being on the air. Thank I you. want to talk about the charade that the president that we all know as quid pro Joe, or is it China Joe, Mexico Joe, Bear Show Biden, or now do we call him Border Wall Biden? Now, this man and his friend Alexander Mayorkas, they stated <laughs> that they are going to build this wall, okay? And they, they have to do it. But then they went and bypassed 27 laws to do a, a, what, a, what the president could do, that executive order. Where is this getting bring up and destroyed by people? Because this is a charade. I don't know what they're trying to pull here. Is this some sort of a election type of deal or yes. trying to peace a few people? Or, yes, both I mean, of those things. Isn't it? I mean, it is unbelievable that he believes people, they Mayorkas went into the Congress how many times and told um, our friend from Ohio, he told all these other people, there is no crisis at the border. There is no crisis at the border. I was ready to jump through the TV. They finally, what happened is the leftist mayors couldn't take it anymore, and they knew they were in trouble, so they're trying to appease somebody somehow, some way. I don't know what the end game result of it is, but it's one of the most dis- destructive lies I've ever heard. This man has lied. People talked about Trump and his lies, and we're going to count his lies. I, I don't understand why more people are calling out Joe Biden as one of the most prolific liars as president ever. Am I correct or not? You are 100% correct. And to your point about what was behind this, it's exactly that. Look, you know, he's not an idiot. Well, let me rephrase. He is an idiot, but he knows what the calendar says because his aides tell him that the calendar says we have a re-election in, in 13 months. He knows that the number one issue for most Americans, including Democrats, is illegal immigration. So even though he's for two and a half years enabled it, encouraged it, supported it, and was responsible for it. He knows he's got to win, so he's got to give some sort of a semblance of, you know, a nod to them saying, I hear you, here's what we're doing. The second thing is, you're right, he's trying to appease certain people. Democrats like Eric Adams and uh Karen Bass and uh you know leaders all across the yeah yeah all all of the all of the left wing big city leaders whose cities are being overrun by illegals so he's got to give them something uh you know to to placate them as well so all right where's the worst part of it it's the Rio Grande Valley sector so meantime he says we're going to put up those 17 wall, uh, miles of wall there at the Rio Valley Vans uh, Rio Valley Grand sector um, but he's good. he knows he can't look like the hypocrite that he is because this is saying that, okay, Trump's border wall is a good idea. So he, that's when he spills his, no, we still don't like it, but you know the law says the law says that the money that was appropriated for wall has to be spent on the wall, so we have no choice. We have to put it up. So he's literally gaslighting all Americans. He doesn't believe in the border wall. He doesn't want the border wall, but he does want to win an election. He does want to get his Democrat leadership off his back, and he needs to make sure that um, uh, you know he doesn't look he doesn't look like he is uh, caving I, in uh, uh, while he does it all. Well, these governors shifting these people around and sending them out of their states have actually helped. I know Abbott's been in a tough spot down there because I mean it's just been rough on him. My cousin lives down there. He said it's just. I mean, I know they want to turn Texas purple. That is their goal. They, we know that's what their whole goal is because that's the next big state. 
You'll never rechange California. Florida is a certain way. New York's a certain way. They have to turn the biggest, next big one with the most electoral votes is what? Texas. Am I correct or not? It's one of the big ones. Yeah, of what course do you it is. Do? And the worst part about it is the irony, I guess, if you will, about it. And thank you for the call, Chuck. The, the worst part about it is the, the way they're going to flip it to blue or from purple, red to purple, then purple to blue, is with all of these transplanted Democrats from California who hate California, but then are coming to Texas to vote to make Texas what? California. That's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to make it into the state that they just fled. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.